0: Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. We are continuing on in our Matthew series Uh, in uh, looking at the fulfillment of God presented through uh, the life of Jesus and presented by Matthew. Uh, it's been an amazing series so far. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount actually. We're in uh, Jud- or Matthew chapter 7 right now, uh, as Danielle just read. And today we're talking all about judging. Now uh, I don't know about you guys, but you ever get one of those like lines from like a movie or a TV show stuck in your head and it just like refuses to leave. Uh, there's this line from Stanley Hudson, one of the greatest characters of all time from The Office. Uh, I think the most important show of our generation in a lot of ways, right? Uh, the Office, he's like, uh, he really wants to get on jury duty, right? And he's like tried his entire life. And he's like, man, ever since I've been 18, I've been trying to get on jury duty. And then he says, and this just, this lives in my head constantly. I think about it once every six weeks. I don't know why. It just pops up in my mind. Uh, he says, man, sitting in an air conditioned room downtown, just judging people while my lunch is paid for? That's the life. And I feel like that's how I feel about judging, actually. It's like a really appealing thing. I crack that joke every time. We have these things called church planner assessments that I get to help out with. New church planners come in, and they're like, Josh, do you want to help? And every single time I go sitting around in an air-conditioned room while my lunch is paid for judging people? Yes, sign me up. And no one laughs. Everyone hates it. They're like, it's not judging. It's a, we're an assessment. It's good. It's healthy for everyone. It's good. It's not, yeah. They don't like it. I crack it every single time. We're Regardless. Uh, but I think we all sort of get this whole like judging thing, like innately, right? And what Jesus says here is like, hey, you shouldn't be judgmental people. And it's great because, as you know, Christians have a reputation of being the least judgmental people in society, right? Like, we as followers of Jesus, everyone's like, good, there, here comes a Christian. At least I won't be judged now, right? Like, isn't that kind of the sense that you guys get from the culture at large? Christians nail this, right? We are the non-judgmental people. Everybody else is super judgmental, right? No, that's not the case. In fact, I live with a lot of Christians. I know a lot of Christians. I hang out with a lot of them, just like you guys, actually. And you guys are pretty judgmental. And in fact, I'm judging you a little bit for it right now, which puts us in a weird spot, right? Because now I'm sort of stuck in this weird judgment loop. Now I feel bad about being judgmental, but I'm judging you for being judgmental. Is that a fair judgment? I don't know. We could get lost here forever. I'm not going to dwell on that too, too much. Here's what I'm actually aiming for today to get myself out of this loop. I am arguing that non-judgment should actually be a uniquely Christian posture. That non-judgment should actually be something that we are known for. And it should be so special and significant to who we are as believers that people might one day be able to look and be like, hey, Christians are actually the non-judgmental ones. That in the same way that we do crazy things, like uh, serve the people around us, in the same way that, like, Christians are known for, like, being charitable, in the same way that we, like, you know, give up part of our Sunday, come here and worship, as the same way that we're, like, a part of small groups and live life together, like, all of those things that make us distinct as Christians, I believe having an attitude and a posture of being non-judgmental should be something that we are known for. Jesus says this exact thing. He says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now first we need to ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus actually saying here? What is he actually talking about in this space? He says to judge, particularly this word, crineo, uh, it actually sort of refers to like a condemnation kind of judging, right? Like a, a judgment with a, a sort of intent for you know punishment and harm on the person that you are judging. So a judge might pass this kind of judgment on someone. Now, I don't think what he's saying here is that you shouldn't be a judge, right? Like, I don't think he's saying, don't, you know, do the whole robe and wig thing. Like, no Christians can be judges. I don't even think anyone's ever read it like that. It definitely doesn't hurt your chances if you want to hit the pageant circuit. Like, if that needs to be something that happens in your life, you can still freely be a pageant. Go, be a beauty pageant judge. Dude, live your life, right? Like, that's not what Jesus is saying here. And in fact, this is one of those crazy things where, like, most of the time we need to, like, pick apart what exactly Jesus is saying here. But in this, like, I think at some level we know it. He's not even talking necessarily about all judgment, which is kind of a weird thing to say because he just says judge not that you would be judged. But then later on in this very passage actually today, verse 6 says this, Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And the question that we have to ask ourselves in reading that is how can you determine who is a pig and who is a dog without judging? Right, so in one voice, Jesus is saying, hey, be non judgmental, don't judge people. And then in the next voice, he's saying, some people are pigs, some people are dogs. You have to discern which is which. Now I'm not going to talk about this verse necessarily. I think what he's talking a lot about in this verse is actually the Pharisees. So back then he was giving all of this stuff. He was giving all of you know his good wisdom. He's giving the gospel, his good news to these people. And they were basically like people broken down into two groups of people. Some accepted it and said, Jesus, we like this. Other people were like, nah, we hate it. We're opposed to it. We're not about that. Right? And so Jesus here is saying like, hey, don't waste your time with these Pharisees. Don't waste your time with these dogs, these pigs who are just going to fight you on it. Instead, go out and share my good news and in order to do that we actually have to judge to be able to see who should be defined as a pig who should be defined as a dog it's sort of like the old adage says don't get in a fight with the pig uh, because all you'll end up getting is dirty and the pig will actually like it that's like the most old school pastory thing I think I've ever said isn't that like a cute little colloquialism don't you love that man that's what Jesus is saying he's saying hey you know Don't judge is sort of like a posture, like we should not be living a lifestyle of judging. Sometimes, though, you do have to make a judgment. You have to use wise judgment. You have to uh, measure people in some ways by their actions. John Stott actually said it this way to sort of clarify. It's not a requirement to be blind to judgment, but instead it is a plea to be generous. A plea to be generous in your judgment. So Jesus saying here that what we don't need to do or what we do need to do, I guess, is that we need to be generous in our judgment of other people, recognizing that we too will be judged. And the reason why I don't even feel like I have to define this anymore is because we all know what this judgment is, right? Like we get this. We understand. It's that sense of superiority that you get by putting someone else down. It's that way that you look at another person and sort of make assumptions about the way that they're going to think or act. It's the way that you make yourself feel better by making someone else worse in your own mind. We know what judgment is. We do it all the time. And Jesus here tells us how to respond. He says this in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus uses that word hypocrite again. He's been using that a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, and if you remember, it sort of refers to like a play actor, like someone who's an actor in a play, like, hey, man, you're putting on a show. Why are you like acting as if this is something that's really important to you? Why are you acting as if you are so much better than that other guy? Actually, you need to do the work first and take a look at the log that is in your own eye if you've ever got like a wood shaving in your eye, then you know that having a log in your eye is a death sentence, right? At that point, you're like, I'm done with life. You get just like a little bit of speck of sawdust in your eye and you're just like, man, I can't handle this. Having an entire log, like Jesus is obviously speaking hyperbole here, but what he's letting you know and what he's letting you in on is that very often we as human beings are tempted to look at this tiny, insignificant little thing in someone else's eye and we're quick to overlook this giant and glaring and terrible thing in our own eye. And in fact, we as Christians should be the exact opposite. Jesus here advocates for us actually looking inward first and seeing the ways that we fail to measure up before we start judging other people. He takes the burden of judge and jury off of us. No longer do we need to judge other people. No longer do we need to be the one to decide whether that person does something right or wrong, whether that person's good or bad, anything like that. Now we can actually leave that up to Jesus. He is the only righteous judge. So what the follower of Jesus is to do is to look to his own sin first his or her own sin first and what's great is we actually get to see this in action this actually started happening soon after jesus spoke these words we see it in the life of paul you guys know Paul, right? He wrote most of the New Testament or more of the New Testament than anyone else. Uh, he went around planting churches. He was actually this guy that would like go up and he would talk to the rulers of the day. They would take him before a, you know a ruling council and he'd be like, hey, you should like Jesus. And they're like, we don't like that. And they'd be like, cool, let me talk to the governor. And then they'd send him on to the governor and then he'd be like, you should like Jesus. And they're like, yeah, we don't like that. And he keeps doing this. He gets sent all the way to Rome. He did more probably in his lifetime. And I know this is like an audacious claim. He probably did more in his lifetime to further the kingdom of God than maybe any other human being on the planet. And do you want to know how he thought of himself in light of all of that? Like he should be the Christian of all Christians. He should be the most Christian. He should be waving the banner. He should be in charge. And instead he thought of himself as the foremost of sinners. He says this in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 17 or 12 through 17, excuse me. He said, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though as formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I have received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is where he gets to it. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul considers himself the foremost, the person in charge. This is this uh, this word carries this idea of like if there was a parade then the person who is like leading the parade the guy up there what do they call it the drum major for some reason he's not playing a drum he has no military rank right but you know he's the guy with the big stick and he walks really funny right like that is who Paul is saying he's like yeah you got the rest of the band over here and sure they sin right you know the piccolo guy sins just a little bit he's got the little thing you know the tuba maybe he sins a lot but I am like flamboyantly and ridiculously walking in front of all of them with my giant stick that's how much of a sinner that I am he says I am the foremost of all sinners we would look at Paul and say hey he's the foremost of all Christians he looks at himself and he actually says I'm the foremost of all sinners and why so that God's mercy might be displayed through him so that the world might look at Paul and say if this guy is forgiven maybe I could be as well that's how Paul thought of himself And that's kind of crazy if you think about it. Then you combine that with Jesus' admonition here to tend to your own sin before you start recognizing it in other people. And you come up with this idea. That the Christian, the follower of Jesus, ought to be the least judgmental person because they know exactly how much they have been forgiven for. Like an awareness of exactly how many times and how much you have actually sinned, an awareness of the cost of that, that Jesus had to die on the cross for that sin, an awareness of all of the judgment that should be given to you and instead is given to you as forgiveness should actually make you the least judgmental person in the entire world. A recognition of your own sin should make you less inclined to recognize other people's sin. The bizarre thing about Christianity is that beautiful scripture, that gospel story that tells the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for mine is the exact same story that also reminds you that you do have sins, that you have a log that's stuck in your eye, that you have ways that you fail, you have ways that you reject God's goodwill for your life, you have ways that you harm yourself and you harm others, and all of that crushing weight should make our salvation that much sweeter, right? Like knowing that can only make us better followers of Jesus. But it also should make us less judgmental of the people around us. Now, in listening to this, we have to be a little bit careful. Uh, There's been a temptation, I feel like, to misconstrue this a little bit. Because at its root, what I'm saying is think a little bit worse about yourself and you might think better about other people. And if you take that too far, it becomes this like self-deprecating cycle where you're like, man, I am just the worst. Like if it incapacitates you from being able to even serve Jesus, then you're obviously doing it wrong. That's not what I'm recommending here. That's why something that we say here at Dwell is actually so important. We say you are defined by the love of God. That is the most important thing about you. That is the most important thing about me is that Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. And so when that becomes your principal identity, no longer do you have to decide, well, am I a good person or a bad person? Because you are just simply a person who is loved by God. You are not a person who is better than your neighbor. You are a person who may have done even worse than them, but you are loved by God. You're not a person who's like totally worthless because of all the terrible things that you've done. Because in fact, even in spite of those things, Jesus actually loves you. And that means that that other person that you're tempted to judge is neither better nor worse than you. They are simply a sinner loved by God just like you and me. I should radically change the way that we live our lives. I'm going to give you three examples, and even as I'm giving you these examples, because I, I think they're probably at least, you know, partially relevant to all of our lives here in this room, I want you to just even be thinking as I'm talking, like, what in ways do you actually do this? I mean, if you've been sitting here this entire time and thinking like, yeah, I do know some judgmental people, you've probably missed at least part of the point, right? Like if that's kind of like your reaction to this, no, the point of Jesus and why Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever lived in addition to being the son of God is this should cut right to the heart. And so you need to be asking yourself, this is not going to be useful to your time or your energy. If you're not asking yourself, what ways am I guilty of this? How am I responsible for being judgmental? In relationships, this might be one of the most important things that you can put into practice. I think it's true if you are married. I think it's true if you have a roommate. I think it's true if you even have friends. A marriage or any type of relationship is going to work best when you both consider yourself to be the lucky one in the relationship. It's easy for me. I think everyone that has ever met Sarah and I is like, man, that guy, he, he worked it, right? I don't know what he did to trick her or what kind of shystiness has gone on in the background. She's a much better person than him, right? And I think actually uh, I, being the prideful and arrogant one, have that temptation to like believe that that's not true. When in fact actually a relationship is going to work best when you both go into it thinking, man, I am lucky to have this person. I am lucky that they even choose to be with me. Because when you recognize your own faults and you recognize the ways in which you fall short, it's going to make you think more highly of other people. And when you're doing that log and spec work, that means that you are quick to recognize your own faults and slow to recognize the faults of others. And if you were married in this room, tell me how many thousands of arguments that would have actually solved. Right? Like if in just the moment of when you're like super frustrated, you sit back and you go, man, maybe... Maybe I'm actually wrong in this situation. Maybe I've done something wrong. Do you want to know how it works out in my life and I feel like this is probably just as true if you have a roommate. Like uh, even if you're not married, I get really mad at like things like the clothes are not folded or something like that when I have been like letting some dish soak in the sink for like 2 days. You know what I'm saying? Like and yet I'm over here like, "Man, I wish somebody would clean this house. This is crazy." And then I'm like, "I'm the one making this mess. Like why am I not taking part in this?" At work, to slow yourself down and recognize your own faults might actually be the most helpful thing that you can do for any relationship that you're a part of. At work, this non-judgmental attitude should wholesale change the way that you relate to others. At work, we are always in such a rush to minimize our own failures and make a huge deal of the failures of others. We're in a hurry to minimize our own failures and make a huge deal of the failures of others. This is not only not helpful for you as a human being who's trying to follow Jesus, it's only going to be toxic in your own soul. But imagine if you're actually the boss. Like, is this the type of employee that you want? Like, why is it that we have decided among, like, the business world that this is, like, an appropriate culture? We're like, yeah, just you know, take other people down so that you can climb ahead. Like Nobody wants that. The boss doesn't even want that like tattletale that's like, this guy is terrible at his job and I'm actually really good. Nobody really desires that, and we're fooling ourselves. We built this sort of perpetuating culture to believe that that's actually the way that we need to get ahead. Instead, would it be so much more appealing? Like imagine you're the boss. Wouldn't it be so much more appealing to have a person who's constantly recognizing their own mistakes and failures and trying to be better. A person who's encouraging other people, who believes that they can do better, that they can be better than them. Finally, think about this as we respond to just general culture. Now I hate using like a loaded and kind of buzzy term like this, but I'm gonna do it anyway, I'm sorry about that. This idea of cancel culture, I'm not really sure what it is, and I'm not really sure if we have a clear definition of necessarily what it is. But I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm not sure of a lot, as you can tell from this sentence. I don't know that Christians can actually be a part of the canceling side. Like I'm not really sure that that ends up being an option for us. How can we be sort of non-judgmental and take part of this, like, well, if you said the wrong thing, if you did the wrong thing, you're out. And it's not just the people that we typically associate with cancel culture either. We're getting into a world where we're just increasingly tribal. And the second that you, like, say something that doesn't fit within our circle, then we have to push you out of our circle and be like, you're terrible and you're dead to us. We don't believe in you anymore. If we are Christians and we truly believe that we can change, that people can change, that Jesus can change people's lives... And if we truly believe that we are not perfect either, that we are sinners in need of a Savior just as much as that other guy that we're trying to put down, then I don't think that we have the freedom anymore to just destroy people when they don't stand up to our standards. What if in culture, Christians were able to find a loving, non judgmental way of disagreeing with others? that doesn't demean or belittle them as persons, but instead instead, actually speaks the truth in love. To conclude, I want to leave us all with a simple challenge to go and live your life differently. Go and live your life this way. Live in a non-judgmental way. I don't know who it is that you're judging. Maybe it is your best friend. Maybe it's that person that you're the closest to. Maybe it's that person that you uh, live down the hallway from. Maybe it's that neighbor. Maybe it's that person at work. Maybe it's your brother or your sister or someone else in your family. I'm not really sure who it is for you. But at the end of the day, if we hear these words of Jesus, if we trust Jesus with our very souls, with our entire lives, then we ought to be able to trust him at this and live in a less judgmental way. Go and do what Jesus says. Go with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit compelling you to be able to live this. Go with the grace of Jesus forgiving you for when you slip up and go with the understanding of the gospel that you have been forgiven for so much already. You've already been forgiven for things that you're going to do and so you ought to be able to forgive others. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you could turn us in, that you could supernaturally change us into being a non-judgmental people. God, that you could give us a picture that is different from the one that we have been given, that is different from the life that we have been living. God, that you could actually show us what it means to live a non-judgmental life. God, we know that you have the power to do this in our lives even when we don't have that power ourselves. God, we know that you can make this change in us even when we can't do it. And so we are putting our hope and our faith and our entire lives in your hands, asking you to do more with them than we could ever ask or imagine. God, change our hearts even in this time. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.